0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. This is on page 124 in the Pew Bibles. Our sermon text this morning is going to be about Jesus healing a leper, but I thought first we could read a few verses, a few selections about leprosy in the Old Testament law. That will help us as we uh, consider uh, the words of the New Testament this morning as well. So we're going to begin in Leviticus chapter 13. Read three verses and then skip ahead a little bit. So I invite you to follow along with me. Leviticus 13 verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous one. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Then if you would skip ahead to verses 45 and 46, that's where we'll pick it up next. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp then skip ahead once again. We'll read the first 11 verses of chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of his camp, and the priest shall examine him, and indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedarwood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head, and his beard and his eyebrows, all his hair he shall shave off, He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now let's turn over to our sermon text, Luke 5 verses 12 to 16. In your pew Bibles, this is page 1185. Luke 12 or I'm sorry, Luke 5 verses 12 to 16. And when it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, to be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by Him of their infirmities. So He Himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Before we consider it further, I would invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I would ask that You would open our eyes that we might clearly see Your Word and understand its meaning for our lives. We know that this is the work of Your Spirit in our hearts. And so we pray as well that You would open our hearts, that we would be able to believe and do what Your Word requires, but more than that, to rejoice in our salvation. We ask for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. When reading this passage from Luke, and when I was studying this week, it was hard not to read about this passage and start thinking about COVID-19 and masks and contagious diseases. No matter what your views of COVID might be, uh, this worldwide information age in which we live has made COVID-19 an event like no other. Everyone has an opinion, sometimes strong opinions and feelings about COVID. But today... We are invited into a world 2,000 years ago with a different infectious disease, leprosy. And the thing about leprosy is there's no dispute or controversy about what it was or what you were supposed to do about it. There's not an exact certainty about what leprosy was, but it most likely corresponds to what we understand today to be Hansen's disease in the modern day. And leprosy was this disease that affected the skin and the appendages. Uh, You would lose blood circulation and at some point your appendages would start to fall off. It was a devastating physical disease. Further, leprosy was contagious. And again, there's no dispute about whether it was contagious. The quarantine was necessary. It was required by God's law. The Lord in His Lauder Israel, which we read, gave explicit instructions for how to handle this skin disease. And for those with the disease, the penalties may seem harsh, but the quarantine was necessary to protect the community. Otherwise, all Israel would be infected and unclean with skin disease. So our passage in Luke 5, it begins with a leper begging Jesus, pleading with him to heal him. And how Jesus responds to this situation, it teaches us not just about His healing power, but will lead us deeper into an understanding of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it will take us a while to develop to this point in the sermon, but a fuller understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, that is where we are headed this morning. For an outline, we will look first at the leper who is healed in verses 12 and 13. And secondly, we will look at the kingdom that is on the move as we see different people that are moving about as a result of this miracle in verses 14-16. to 16. And then third, we're going to look back at the method of the healing, taking a more in-depth look at this healing miracle. So if we just said in verse 12, it begins with a leper begging, falling down before Jesus. Verse 12 mentions that he's full of leprosy. So this is not a small skin blemish on the hand. Imagine a man who's covered all over with white leprous spots. Maybe he does not have long before the disease overwhelms his body. In addition to the life or death nature of his disease, Consider as well the social penalty of leprosy. It's complete social isolation. This is not about wearing a mask or a two-week quarantine. You are out of social circles permanently. You could not go to church, or in his case, the synagogue. You could not get a job. It would be very difficult for you to acquire food. Everywhere you went, you had to uncover your mouth and yell out, unclean, unclean, so that everyone else knew not to come close. It's your responsibility to tell others to stay away. No matter how much you might want to chat with someone once in a while, even if it's just about the matter, that's not really possible. I think we, we know the Sunday school element of this story so well. Of course, Jesus is going to heal this man that we can forget and miss the power of what is happening here. Imagine for yourself that you were cut off from your community, away from your family, to be alone with your contagious disease. You are set to die a painful death. I can tell you that if this were me, I'd be desperate too. This is no time for social dignity. I would be falling on the ground just like this man and begging to be healed. Sign me up if I can get rid of this awful disease. Now let's consider not just this man's desperation, but his words in verse 12. He says, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. You see there, there's almost like this slight doubt if Jesus is willing, He'll make him clean. And to our ears, that might sound somewhat odd because of course, we know Jesus. Of course, He'll want to heal this man. But maybe it wasn't so obvious at that time. The religious leaders of that day, Jesus was known as a rabbi. Well, these leaders were obsessed with their own ceremonial purity and righteousness. They have no time for a social outcast like a leper. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? A priest and a Levite? They avoid the Samaritan and walk on the other side of the path just to avoid being near or touching the wounded man. At the time of this miracle, there's no full understanding of Jesus, so perhaps he's like that priest and that Levite. Is leprosy really included in the things that Jesus will heal? Earlier in Luke 4, verse 40, it tells us that Jesus was casting out demons and healing diseases, but what about this disease and this problem? That seems to be the leper's concern. If you are willing So this leper is begging for Jesus' attention, his concern, please regard my need. Use your power to heal me as he lays on his face before Jesus. So what we learn about Jesus in this story is though many others may have disregarded the needs of this leper, many of them couldn't even if they wanted to because he was unclean. But Jesus is able and He's willing Jesus says later in Luke 5, verse 31, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus does not turn away the leper, but willingly addresses his need. This is what one commentator calls the most significant lesson from this passage that even outsiders can experience God's healing grace. That's what we learn from this story. Even outsiders experience God's healing grace. And that's really the question that's been building in the Gospel of Luke. If we had started earlier and been working to this point, Luke 4, at Nazareth, when Jesus introduces His ministry, He says, this is who my ministry is for. It's for the poor. It's to set at liberty those who are oppressed. People like this leper who yearn for freedom from their disease. Jesus is the unique Savior who brings healing like no other. I want to highlight for you just a bit more how unique this leprosy healing is. If you look through your Bible, you read through your Old Testament, there's different accounts of people that are, have leprosy. But in my search, I've only found a few that have been healed from leprosy. Moses and Miriam had leprosy and they were healed. Anyone else? Well, there's the famous story about Naaman in 2 Kings 5. But he isn't an Israelite. He didn't have to go to the priest. So what I want you to consider is that there's an entire chapter of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 14, which talks about going to the priest and being healed. To our knowledge, no one has ever gone through that process of Leviticus 14 and been healed and gone to the priest to be healed of leprosy. It could have happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Maybe it did. But to our accounting, there is no miracle that has ever happened where a person would go to the priest as in Leviticus 14. So there's this entire chapter of the Bible in the Old Testament law that doesn't really come into play until Jesus. The first account in Scripture is of Leviticus 14 is right here and now. Over a thousand years since the law was written. it Only now to be fulfilled in Christ. Now that is a unique healing. Leviticus 14 is one of those many ways that the law of God anticipates the coming of Christ. The law needs Christ to come as much as the leper does to fulfill it. This man believes Jesus can do it and he does it. This man comes to Jesus asking for mercy and grace in a way that's perhaps never been seen before. And Jesus is willing and he does it. As you continue in the Gospel of Luke, there are more lepers healed but just know that with Jesus, in this account, this is the first time this has happened. As he shows more about his mercy and power to those around him. Now we're going to come back and look at Jesus' healing a little bit more in a moment. But first I want to follow the flow of the text. The verses 14 to 16, there's a lot of movement after this healing happens. Or you could say the kingdom is on the move. After the healing, there's three people or groups that are on the move. The leper, the crowds, and Jesus. Let's start with the leper. Where does he have to go? Well, the leper is instructed by Jesus, first of all, to tell no one, and second of all, to go to the priest to be declared clean. Following Leviticus 14, as we've been discussing. I think it's worth taking a moment, just a pause, take a tangent, because sometimes people make a big deal about why did Jesus tell the leper to be quiet? What that, what that does that make sense? Why must he be quiet? Well, I think there's two very good reasons that Jesus told him to keep quiet. First, suppose this man who's now been healed of leprosy starts running around and talking to everyone about what has happened. Until he goes to the priest, he's still unclean. So anybody he talks to, he's also going to make them unclean until he's declared clean. He goes through that eight-day process that we read about in Leviticus 14. He's technically still a leper until the priest says otherwise. It's not the same, but it's sort of like you can say you're cancer-free, but it's not until the doctor says you're cancer-free that it's true. That's kind of what it was like in Israel. The priest had to say so. The second reason for keeping quiet is told to us in Mark 1, verse 45. It's the same story, the same lepers being healed in Mark chapter 1. And in verse 45, it says that after this miracle, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Remember, it was His custom to go from town to town and teach in the synagogues. Now, His freedom of movement is limited. He can't go in and teach the way that He could before. Only those who come out to Him can be healed. The next story, Luke 5, verse 17, they have to tear the roof off the house in order for the paralytic man to be let down to see Jesus. So it's a big problem for Jesus' freedom of movement that the leper does not follow what Jesus asked him to do. So the lepers report. It gets around. There's these great... It's coming to Jesus we read in these verses and that's what I mean when I say the kingdom is on the move Jesus teaching his miracles his popularity have grown like crazy if this happened in our day it would be all over social media and news feeds and cable news people with pictures on their cell phones of what Jesus is doing so these great crowds It's not all bad because Jesus can minister to many more people. He can heal a lot more diseases. Verse 15 says that many more were healed of their diseases. But I would just note for you, I think something is lost here where Jesus being able to go into a synagogue and teach, it's not so easy anymore. The problem will get more pronounced as the Gospel of Luke continues, but you see the trend here, right? Right? There's more miracles by Jesus, more power displayed by Jesus. But there's starting to get to be less room for Jesus' words, for the good news of the kingdom. And perhaps you can see the potential problem. Everyone in Israel could have every last disease and illness and problem fixed. They're in perfect physical health. But they could still be no better off spiritually. More miracles, more power but not as much opportunity to teach. Jesus needs to teach and preach also. So with the kingdom on the move, the crowds are growing. What does our passage say that Jesus does? Verse 16, He withdraws to the wilderness to a quiet place with no crowds. Which tells you something, doesn't it? Jesus' focus here is not on expanding His ministry or increasing His popularity. It's not about getting more clicks and more likes and becoming the ultimate influencer. Jesus' focus, as He says in John, is to do His Father's will. Jesus' focus is to commune with His Father, to stay in tune with what His Father wants, not what the crowds want. The crowds come out to Jesus. Jesus withdraws and still finds quiet places to pray. Most of the Gospel accounts tell us about Jesus' public ministry, but every so often we get this little glimpse into Jesus' personal life and what He loves. Think of Gethsemane and Jesus' prayer, His intensity there, while His disciples are sleeping and He's sweating drops of blood. And that tells you something about our Savior, what He values in addition to healings and teachings. His first and primary communion is with His Father in prayer. Popularity and fame are fleeting like a cloud. You can watch it in the sky. It floats by and it's gone. But communion and prayer with the God of Heaven, He is the One who's eternal, who is worth knowing, and communing with. I'd like you to ask yourself this question before we move on. Suppose today that you had the power to heal any disease currently around in this world. Would you spend more time quietly praying? Or would you be using your healing gift as much as possible? And with the fame and praise of others that goes with it, maybe it's not so easy to choose prayer first. Or how about this simpler question? Even without the power to heal, do you take away time away from the daily tasks you do have for prayer? Do you withdraw to pray to the Lord? Does your daily schedule allow you the time to do so? Or are you overwhelmed with your time? Just to put it one other way, do you give the quiet parts of your day to communion with God or to your favorite content on your phone if you allow for it as in verse 16 as Jesus withdraws to pray it should give us all time to pause and reflect on what we prize most with our own time to this point we've walked through the general flow of these verses then uh, verses 12 to 16 of Luke 5 It begins with a leper to be healed. It goes to the great crowds. And it ends with Jesus on his knees. At this point, I'd like to go back to the miracle itself. Because if we look closer, I think we can get more insight into Jesus' saving purpose if we dig just a little more. So let's look thirdly at Jesus' method of healing. In one sense, it's no big deal how Jesus heals somebody. If you look in the Gospel accounts, Jesus heals people in a variety of ways. Sometimes He heals from a long distance, like the centurion's servant. Other times, He's very personal in touching someone and healing them. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that was born blind by spitting on the clay, making mud, and putting it on his eyes. But with blind Bartimaeus, Jesus just says, recover yourself, and it happened. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus first partially heals a man of blindness so that he sees people like trees walking around and then later heals the man fully. So we have a two stage miracle. Now, for myself, there's always this caution because as an American, uh, as with all of us, we often can get too concerned with methods and techniques. Uh, We get focused on the means and we miss the big picture. Uh, So if we see or notice a church with 10,000 members, uh, uh, we start thinking about the methods. Well, what did they do? Uh, How did they get so big? What could we learn from this so that we can become big? Or in a medical issue, uh, we can think about, well, how does technology solve this problem? What prescription do I need? Uh, What technique is necessary for me to feel good again? So as pragmatic Americans, we love methods and techniques for how to do stuff and fix stuff. But even so, this time, I do think it's important to look at Jesus' method. When Jesus says in this miracle, I am willing, be clean, in verse 13, how does His healing occur? It says there that Jesus puts out His hand and touches the man. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, I think that is profound. And I'll tell you why. The Old Testament laws for clean and unclean, they work like this. Anything touches something unclean, then that also becomes unclean. The only way for something to become clean is through ritual and time. You have to ceremonially wash with clean water. You have to wait out the end of the day. You follow the law and then later you are clean. For example, in Israel, if your relative dies, you have to touch him and bury the body which makes you unclean because any dead body is unclean. So then you have to go through the cleansing process to be clean again. The rule is anything that touches what is unclean, then it is also unclean. So if I were unclean and I shook everybody's hand here today, we would then all be ceremonially unclean. So that's the direction. It's almost like King Midas Uh, In Greek mythology, everything he touched turned to gold. He touched an apple, it became an apple of gold, a rock, a clump of dirt. All became gold at Midas' touch, which was great until he had to eat some food and that turned to gold. Or he touches his daughter and she turns to gold. But with the Old Testament laws and clean and unclean, it's not gold, it's not a precious metal. It's just everything becomes unclean. This pattern has been going on for 1,400 years when God first gave the law to Moses. For Israel, literally for its entire history since leaving Egypt, something unclean is contacted by something clean and they both become unclean. Now consider again what Jesus did when He touched the leper. Who becomes like whom? Does Jesus become unclean like the leper when He touches them? Only... Wait, the leper's no longer unclean because Jesus healed him. When Jesus touches what's unclean, He actually makes both of them clean again. Reversing this 1,400-year trend. Only Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, He can take what is unclean and make it clean like Himself. There's no other person, no other rabbi that could do this. I would like to consider with you that what we see happening here with Jesus touching the leper, it actually mirrors something about our redemption in Christ. It's the same thing. Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus died on a cross, took all the weight of our sin upon Himself, all the wrath of God for your and my sin falls on Christ And Jesus, as a substitute, bears the full weight and the just penalty for our sin. Once that happens, Jesus does not remain unclean. Instead, when the cross is complete, God the Father raises His righteous Son, His clean Son, from the dead, and so that all who are with Jesus and united with Him by faith We are also raised together in Christ, in righteousness. So you see, Jesus took on our sin and did not become trapped in hell forever for our sake. He did not become righteous and remain so. But rather, He took on sin, conquered it, and conquered death. So it's gone not just for Him, but for all of us, for all of us as believers. And to put this in a personal way, if you look to Christ in faith, then Jesus took your sin. He touched you, took your sin, just as he touched the leper. And rather than a permanent stain on his soul, he touches your sin and you are both made clean. And that's amazing. That's the gospel. That is what is so unique about Christ. Jesus touches the leper. He takes his unclean leprosy takes it to himself and it's a symbol of what he does for all of us as sinners taking on our sin. So the result is not that Jesus will become a leper from this contagious disease and that or that Jesus is now a sinner. No. Jesus through who he is, through his perfect atonement on the cross, all are made clean, perfect forgiven and righteous. Isn't Jesus wonderful? The only God and Savior we could ever need. He can take on our sin and on the cross wipes out our sin and God's wrath. Jesus takes on what is unrighteous and all who believe are made righteous along with Christ. You see, Jesus' word alone, it could have healed the leper, but it foreshadows the gospel, it foreshadows what he's going to do on the cross. He can touch this man, take on his uncleanliness and make him clean. I think as we reflect on this in our heart of hearts, we all at some level know what it means to be an outcast like the leper because we're all sinners. All of us in our sin have lost fellowship with God. All of us know the shame that comes with our sin, that we are defective, we are unworthy and unqualified in our sin. And legitimately so. Shame should accompany our sin and remind us of our unworthiness. Just as that leper, wherever he went, had to declare, unclean, unclean, so too we are outcasts from heaven. Apart from Christ, if we were to see the face of God, we would fall and die. Our sin was like a black mark. It disqualifies us from heaven or to be near a holy God. So in that spiritual sense, we are just like the leper, and Jesus looks at us as outcasts, and he is willing, he is willing to restore us to relationship with God that already now we enjoy grace and mercy and love from God. So I ask you, how do we respond to such a text? to five simple verses in Luke. Well, I think the only appropriate response is faith in Christ. First, by acknowledging that yes, I am unclean like this leper, only worse. My sin affects not just my outer appearance, my physical, felt, my physical health. It affects my heart. And knowing that uncleanliness, we turn to Christ and say, Lord, you can make me clean. So I would encourage you to put your faith in Christ, to acknowledge his power to all who believe. Jesus is willing to make you clean from your deepest and darkest stains. Those sins that you regret and can't seem to get away from, of which you are most ashamed you would know you are disqualified if we were not for Christ. And Jesus washes all that sin away in a sacrifice on the cross. I want to close with these words from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, which summarizes what we've been saying, where Paul says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let us say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who Jesus is as our Savior. That he was willing. He was willing to take on flesh. He was willing to take our place on the cross. He was willing to serve us. And we rejoice that you saw him as the righteous son whom you raised from the dead. And all of us, united to him by faith, are raised as well clean and wholesome lives considered saints and prepared for the glory of heaven we thank you for these blessings in jesus name amen our song of dedication this morning is number 492 how sweet the name of jesus sounds number 492 The offering this morning is for the URCNA askings. is number 457. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Let's stand together and sing number 457.